Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst, where, as usual, you'll be provided with a weekly dose of uh, information, news and thoughts on important matters of the moment in and around the hotel investment space. From me, Chris Bown, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and Andrew Sankster, the editorial director at Hotel Analyst. And as usual, if you like what you're hearing from us, then do pop along to the website hotelanalyst.co.uk to find out more, to visit the back catalogue of previous podcasts and see if there's any topics that interest you. uh, And also check out uh, the opportunity to perhaps subscribe to more of the detailed reports that we deliver on a regular basis for all of our subscribers. Now we're starting this week by taking a look at a couple of items that have popped in recently to do with the whole issue of investors and backing more and more sort of hotel operating partners. We're in a situation where there's a a wall of money, the wall of money keeps getting bigger, investors are looking what to do with it, how to invest it to get a decent return and uh, frankly if you just line up to buy hotels as standing assets then you're going to be in bidding war with plenty of other people who've got uh, lots of money to put into the market too. So those with money to put into the market are having to become more creative and uh, one of the things they can do is ride along with uh, operating platforms that are already delivering successful operating hotel businesses and we've seen a couple of instances recently where uh, it's the platform that's effectively being backed Um, And one of those is uh, PGIM Real Estate, which is a massive investor, has just agreed to do a joint venture with the UK hotel group Cairn Hotels. Uh, And we've also seen a a deal recently where the McTaggart family and partners investor has, uh, has doubled down on its own hotel investment by they already back the resident a uh, small chain in the UK and they bought the Sleepers budget hotel business uh, to add to their portfolio. The Cairn deal is, is quite interesting in that you know here's a quietly quite large UK hotel group they run over 30 hotels they run some of them under their own Cairn brand and then they run a, a decent number under a variety of Intercontinental Marriott and Hilton flags uh, so you would have thought if uh, they take additional uh, properties on board they're going to have to have an option of of thinking which one's going to work best for a particular locations but um, we spoke with uh, Anil Handa at uh, Madison Cairn. Madison Cairn by the way is a kind of a new sub brand they've they've just sort of broken the name up a little bit to make it different from the the main operating business as they're looking for uh, new opportunities to buy and um, they've apparently uh, with PGIM alongside them as a co-investor I've already spotted grabbed and acquired the first target together which is a hotel in Brighton they haven't said where it is what it is or how big it is um, but they are going to be looking to kind of do value adds around the UK uh, and they're, they're quite happy with probably city and and coastal locations around the UK um, I suppose the only challenge will be uh, picking off the opportunities yeah, it's worth pointing out that the it's an arm's length relationship um, that that sub brand, as it were, between mm-hmm. um, the core uh, Cairn business and the sort of the, the new venture with uh, PGM. On in my uh, sort of notes, I made um, in my extent more extensive piece um, that people get if they subscribe. Um, 
I reflect on the changing nature of the private market. Um, now, it used to be the case that uh, buying up a platform was the preserve of private equity. Um, so you'd have all of these private equity uh, firms lining up saying, we want to buy a platform, we'll um, transform those uh, properties within the platform and we'll add a few more, maybe sell a few um, and have a completely different shaped probably bigger business to, to flog on again in the five to seven year hold period of a typical private equity investor. What we're seeing now, however, is longer term money coming in to the uh, sector, which is also clean, uh, keen on platforms. And in many ways, insurers are ideal capital sources for the hotel market. Uh, what insurers like pension funds want is a steady dribble of cash out of the business, um, and they can be long term holders of the of the business. And if you look at any study of hotels, uh, if you hang on for a couple of decades uh, with that investment, you're going to outperform most other real estate investment asset classes, certainly any significantly sized um, real estate investment um, asset classes anyway um, and, and so this is a I think this is a good uh, way for institutional money to get access to to our bit of the the private market if you like um, and we're, we're seeing this this is we're sort of getting to all-time highs now in terms of the the private market the, the amount of cash that's um, in there and when we look talking about the private market we're talking about this wider piece in terms of uh, not just uh, uh, real estate but we're talking about private equity more broadly we're also talking about private credit so um, some figures from Goldman Sachs recently they they say how this market as a whole has grown over just three to five years to from about five trillion US dollars to ten trillion US dollars um, never mind that nominal number I think it's the the growth rate which is so incredible there in, in nominal number terms you know the private markets are still significantly smaller than the uh, uh, sort of listed equity market so you're talking about say 60 trillion dollars for that so this significantly smaller um, but nonetheless uh, faster growing and quite significant and I think this these sort of vehicles that PGIM have struck here with Ken I think is very interesting for the future of our sector providing access for this more suitable I would argue long-term money in our sector it gives an out to some of the opportunity fund um, type investments which uh, um, the private equity uh, backers have, 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 have struck those sort of deals um, and it, it, I think from 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 the perspective of how it's going to facilitate long-term growth in our sector um, it's good news now we've been uh, having a roundup for subscribers this week on what the outlook looks like for uh, the, the return of international uh, travel and tourism um, some, some numbers came out from the uh, United Nations World Tourism Organization which has given us some uh, r some numbers on the runway so far in uh, 
2022 and we've also had some numbers from the World Travel and Tourism Council they've done a, a series of economic forecasts where they're looking at what they think is going to happen over the coming months um, and uh, UNTO have, have also do a forecast which they've revised upwards uh, because they think the uh, acceleration of the curve in the last few months means things are looking like they're getting back quicker than had previously been expected. Uh, we are still seeing uh, company, countries opening up. Uh, the Japanese authorities have just announced they're going to be allowing uh, international tourists to come into the country, uh, albeit you're going to have to be part of an organised uh, tour organisation trip. You've got to be chaperoned. It sounds like North Korea. <laughs> it does. You've got to wear. You've got to wear a mask. You've got to have travel insurance and be chaperoned. Do you I mean, probably have to follow someone with an umbrella, fill the umbrella <laughs> yes. as well. Um, and um, uh, and there's also a bit of pressure uh, building in China as well. It seems um, from international businesses who are a bit fed up with the whole uh, situation there, where the Chinese authorities keep on locking down different bits of the of the country to to keep covid in check so it's uh it does feel like the world is starting to open up and we are going to see a stronger return uh back to uh, a new normal that should look very much like 2019 or perhaps a bit better um around europe probably one of the big winners at the moment is uh is turkey which thanks to the weakness of its currency means it's become a, a bargain uh, destination for holiday makers from uh, from northern and western Europe uh, and uh, but of course there are there are there are issues with this whole uh, getting travel going again and um, perhaps we'll cover that a little bit more <laughs> later on in this podcast but uh, we have seen issues certainly in the, in the UK with uh, airlines and airports uh, unable to cope with the uh, in suddenly increased volume of, of travellers wanting to uh, get away for their, their, their school holiday breaks. Interesting, you, you in your piece you um, report remarks by the Mayor of Bodrum telling uh, Reuters that uh, he's expecting a decline of visitors from Russia. Um, <laughs> as far as I'm aware they're actually going through the roof at the moment because there's not many places Russians can actually go. Um, I think Dubai and Turkey are, uh, are two of the, the most prominent places for them to head. So uh, I think there's still a boom there as well as all of um, the the rest of Europe as well. Um, <laughs> um, but leaving that aside, I, th I think we're going to give some grief to the airlines in um, in our no star five star. Um, but I just want. Um, to almost defend them, or entirely defend them, but it's not all their fault. I would suggest, as you know, the situation they're in at the moment. I, th I think we have failed to have clear political direction. I mean, the big issue for the airlines has been actually, uh, when are you not going to keep locking down? So they ended the. So if we just deal with the UK, um, furlough ended. Um, in September um, but we carried on having restrictions and in fact there were threats of quite significant restrictions over the Christmas period of 2021 um, which obviously devastated travel and we had Omicron in January which devastated travel and there isn't a, a good case I think if you are running an airport or running an airline you'd say actually it'd be very irresponsible if I go out and hire back all the people I need given that you know it could well be that we will go bust um, um because these restrictions will carry on again we'll, we'll have another 
on again off again period now as it's turned out of course um, that hasn't been the case um, we'll reflect on that in a minute and about where the airlines and airports made a bad decision because i think they have made some bad decisions but just talk about this pain that has been created by the lockdowns now um, there's a house of commons library report which came out in november 21 and looked at the cost of furlough in the uk it's just the uk and that's 70 billion pounds it's an enormous amount that's about 10 percent of what a government spends it's an entirety each year um 11.7 million jobs were furloughed at the highest point uh, accommodation and food services which is where the hotel sector fits in um that had the highest level of claims 12.87 billion pounds worth uh, of claims as in terms of support for the furlough um, but at the end of the scheme when it finished in September it was actually travel and tourism which still had the largest number of people on the scheme so in passenger air transport 36% of jobs were still furloughed in travel agencies and tour operators it was 35% uh, still furloughed quite clearly the, the sector was not back to normal operating capacity at that point and was fearful of being so um, I think the government ought to have either made clear we're not going to do any more lockdowns <clears throat> excuse me which they're unable to do um, and they didn't do because they did do more restrictions um, and travel itself didn't really begin to get going until about Easter of this year um, and lockdown um, created long-term damage to the sector and really I think you know the government could have stepped up and done a bit more even if it was just extending that furlough piece um for um airlines for airports and all the ancillary stuff such as uh, um you know um in in terms of you know some bits of our sector so some of the the hotels in and the big city centres notably London but elsewhere Edinburgh Manchester places that weren't seeing you know a surge thanks to staycations uh, this has all come back now but there was this sort of six month hiatus where nobody really knew what on earth was going on now it was very expensive for the government it's nearly six thousand pounds per job on furlough um, but it did stop unemployment unemployment was expected to surge beyond 10 percent but it actually peaked at 5.2%. So about half of where everybody feared it was going. Um, but you know what we have now seen is this, this, this chaos caused partially by the government and partially by some of the decisions about uh, the operators, which we'll go on to talk about in a minute. But this is the case in terms of um, actually the government has culpability. Now we're going to talk about uh, what's happened most recently with the Indian uh, startup disruptor Oyo, Oyo Rooms, uh, which of course burst onto the scene a few years ago and was threatening to be a, uh, a great big disruptor well, in various markets around the world, um, having launched in India and kind of was, I suppose, a sort of uh, cross between a... Uh, uh, hotel brand operator and uh, an OTA because in India they, they launched as a service where they would take hold of independent hotels help them sort themselves out to be some be sort of managed more efficiently uh, to certain sort of brand standards and then uh, OYO would, would promote them and, and 
distribute the rooms for them uh, and, and improve their their earnings and uh, their occupancy. Um, but from there on, Oyo came out around the world into various markets, including the UK, uh, promising to sign up lots and lots of independent hotels onto their platform and uh, promote them and uh, do all sorts of wonderful things for them. Um, but is one of those these sort of tech stocks that's uh, that's always uh, been yet to yet to earn its earn its keep in terms of actually delivering a profit. It it got great amount of backing from um, uh, SoftBank, which is a, an investor that's famously uh, puts lots of cash into tech stocks. Uh, also, I think it uh, invested and backed WeWork. Uh, and uh, of course, the pandemic has has. Uh, certainly clipped Oyo's wings in terms of its plans for expansion, but it's also upset its plans to uh, to launch on the Indian stock market. Um, and uh, th- that was going to happen this year. It's now not going to happen this year. And at the earliest stage now, it could happen in 2023. But I think from what what we read in the, the Indian media, it sounds like Oyo is hoping that they're going to have a decent uh, third quarter of this year have a good bounce back they'll be able to demonstrate to the market that they are delivering a great big growth in revenue and perhaps even haha some positive EBITDA um, and uh, therefore they'll be able to um, get, get onto the market in India with a decent valuation and uh, a decent share value and perhaps even a little bit of money back for their, um, their early backers. Uh, but uh, quite where OYO comes uh, uh, and what it looks like when it comes to the market. Yeah, I want to do something which is um, quite hard to do, which is to argue against myself. <laughs> okay, um, got so, a mirror there. Um, in, in, <laughs> uh, so, so for for a while now, we've been big skeptics on. I mean, I have to say, I'm still a huge skeptic on OYO. I don't actually understand what the business is. Um, but we've been skeptics on that. We've been skeptics on um, Airbnb as well. Um, well, you know, what's the counterpoint to this? What is the case um, that you can make for it? And I certainly think, you know, it's not inconceivable that even IO um, can work, that there is a route to success for the business. I really don't think it's going to uh, work in its current incarnation, but maybe there's something that can be tweaked to make it work. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to eat. Re- are my words on on the forecast for failure for it because i i still think it is gonna be a failure so we'll leave that one airbnb however let's let's just consider that and just talk about how you know why is it that airbnb is still and at the end of the day it is still has a market cap bigger than marriott so um you know the biggest hotel company globally marriott is worth less than airbnb investors are looking at airbnb and saying well there is something here what what is that something there that investors are looking at so i went to a a technology journalist i um, admire in terms of his outlook uh, uh, somebody called ben thompson he published a newsletter called stratechery um and he did. Uh, he's a fan of Airbnb, and he he explained why he's a fan of Airbnb, and he was very bullish about it after its recent refresh. This is uh, um, what we wrote about this a couple oh, of weeks ago. Update, yes. In terms, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly that thing. Um, and he, um, we were, you know, skeptical <laughs> of it. We said this isn't going to be enough. Now, but Thompson argues 
this is probably one of the most exciting things he's come across mm. um, in in tech for a while, which actually made me think, well, oh gosh, here's somebody I respect in terms of his views on on you know what's going on. Let's have a listen to what his arguments are. Now, what he's saying is he thinks Airbnb and it's this this notion of categories it has, so beachfront or. Um, uh, I don't know, um, City Escape. Um, he thinks that the listing structure that Airbnb has um, put in place um, to sell its accommodation, he thinks it's going to it's going to transform how accommodation is sold more broadly. So rather than list by price, price and location, which is the usual way uh, accommodation is sold, um, he thinks that by these categories we're going to say, right, I fancy going to the seaside. Let's see what's out there. Um, which you know, I, mm -hmm. I kind of get. Um, I don't think it's going to work very well for um, business travel. Stand in the laptop, never a but, good thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Um, but but for leisure, yeah, I get that, and it's it's interesting, you know, how that can, you know, that could work. So I could see that, and you know, I, I, we've we have said this before, actually, is that you know hotel executives say well the, these OTAs and stuff then they're, they're nothing more than a glorified website they are but they do that website really well and that can actually generate very meaningful returns um, and this is where Airbnb has really scored it's you know it's set up by um, a designer which is an unusual person to have as a CEO in Brian Chesky he understands design he understands the user interface and how how customers uh, would be guests interact with that booking tool they're using which is the Airbnb website he gets that and he's built a, a company on the back of that which actually is best in class in that I would argue without question and I would you know and and I think as this tech journalist talks about um, in terms of these new listings he also was lauding air cover which is the insurance mm -hmm. uh, scheme that um, that Airbnb is putting in place and this is where um the journalist concerned is certainly eating his words um because he admits that the the whole sort of uh uh notion of um wisdom of crowds and so forth as being a, a driver of consumer reassurance the trust building thing about guest reviews really hasn't worked that well hasn't reassured customers that well and actually brands are much more effective at delivering that customer reassurance than mm. reviews are um, he thinks air cover will help in the process of providing reassurance alongside uh, um, well the Airbnb brand I guess replacing the the accommodation brand so certainly uh, you know from a, a accommodation supplier perspective this is a guarantee of uh, commoditization if you're listing on Airbnb which doesn't make it particularly appealing if you're a branded hotel chain so for most of our our listeners in that in that area that that's only going to give them more pessimism about OTAs and Airbnb in particular. <laughs> but I think in terms of can it succeed, um, yeah, I think this will help drive more success for Airbnb. I still don't think it will drive sufficient success to drive profits high enough to justify its current uh, uh, share price. But but uh, you know that's uh, a sort of valuation piece. Um, I certainly don't think Airbnb is suddenly going to disappear. Um, but I think I just 
just struggle i still struggle even having um you know tr tried to sort of row back <laughs> a little bit on the sort of skepticism uh, i still struggle to see how it's going to ever deliver the kind of profitability that its uh, current share price promises okay there are no star awards and five stars this week i go to one of the big brand groups i think yeah, so IHG hits the 6,000 hotels milestone, as it calls it, and it's um, um, listed a whole bunch of spectacular openings, um, which are, of course, a whole bunch of its uh, very upscale um, um, and luxury product. But it did have a few um, holiday inns in there, which was good to see. So, I mean, it, it's just this, this you know, how our industry has changed, really. So, you know, only a few years ago, we were talking about half a million rooms as being a big big benchmark uh, now we're at with IHG 880,000 rooms um, and they've got 271,000 rooms in the pipeline so this 6,000 rooms 1,800 rooms in the in in the pipeline is quite something and it's it's certainly a five star for that achievement so I think we're returning to our um, powering up story earlier yeah so yeah i tried i tried to defend um the airlines <laughs> and, and and the airports but i mean at the end of the day they, they've just done a massive blooper here i mean the obvious thing to do was to put up their mm -hmm. prices um but I, I think i do think the problem is that they were too afraid of losing market share so um and they just kept with their existing price structure what they should have done realize we haven't got the capacity here um to deliver on on what we're selling therefore actually price up reduce demand um the, you know to reduce the the level of um uh, demand we're going to get coming in by pricing it up will give us the profits this will enable us to you know to put a bit more money into our workforce um upskill them and pay them a bit more and will enable them ultimately to get back to the capacity they need to deliver what is obviously there in terms of demand because it's just messy and a lot of people have been saying running around saying oh it's brexit da 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 but actually this chaos is throughout the world actually um you know you've got to look at Schiphol in amsterdam it's an almighty mess um i think it's actually worse than british airports um so we've, we've got this ongoing issue but but you know the the failures of the airlines in terms of cancelling you know i think whiz air took a poke at brexit because i mean the whiz air solution was let's ship in a load of cheap labor well i don't think that is actually the long-term solution here it needs to be um better quality labor who are able to be more productive perhaps invest a bit in terms of technology a lot could still be done here i think um pay people a bit better um and you know and ultimately you yeah you're going to have to pass on some of that to 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 um travelers and put up the prices um but the approach they've done which is to flog loads of stuff when they haven't got the ability to deliver it is just not good enough and it's a definite and no on that sanitary note We'll say goodbye for now.